0: Chapter Thirty Seven of Dombey and Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. Chapter Thirty Seven More Warnings Than One. Florence, Edith, and mrs Skewton were together next day, and the carriage was waiting at the door to take them out; for Cleopatra had her galley again now, and Withers, no longer the wan, stood upright in a pigeon breasted jacket and military trousers behind her wheelless chair at dinner time, and butted no more. The hair of Withers was radiant with pomatum in these days of down, and he wore kid gloves and smelt of the water of cologne. They were assembled in Cleopatra's room. The serpent of Old Nile, not to mention her disrespectfully, was reposing on her sofa, sipping her morning chocolate at three o'clock in the afternoon and Flowers the maid was fastening on her youthful cuffs and frills and performing a kind of private coronation ceremony on her, with a peach-coloured velvet bonnet, the artificial roses in which nodded to uncommon advantage as the palsy trifled with them like a breeze. I think I am a little nervous this morning, Flowers said mrs skewton my hand quite shakes you were the life of the party last night ma'am you know returned flowers and you suffer for it to-day you see edith who had beckoned florence to the window and was looking out with her back turned on the toilet of her esteemed mother suddenly withdrew from it as if it had lightened my darling child cried cleopatra languidly you are not nervous don't tell me my dear edith that you so enviably self-possessed are beginning to be a martyr too like your unfortunately constituted mother withers someone at the door card ma'am said withers taking it towards mrs dombey i am going out she said without looking at it my dear love drawled mrs skewton How very odd to send that message without seeing the name. Bring it here, Withers. Dear me, my love, Mr. Carker, too, that very sensible person. I am going out, repeated Edith in so imperious a tone that Withers, going to the door, imperiously informed the servant who was waiting. Mrs. Dombey is going out. Get along with you. And shut it on him. But the servant came back after a short absence, and whispered to Withers again, who once more, and not very willingly, presented himself before Mrs. Dombey. "'If you please, ma'am.' Mr. Carker sends his respectful compliments, and begs you would spare him one minute, if you could, for business, ma'am, if you please.' "'Really, my love,' said Mrs. Skewton, in her mildest manner, for her daughter's face was threatening. "'If you would allow me to offer a word, I should recommend—' "'Show him this way,' said Edith. As Withers disappeared to execute the command, she added, frowning on her mother, "'As he comes at your recommendation, let him come to your room. "'May I?' shall i go away asked florence hurriedly edith nodded yes but on her way to the door florence met the visitor coming in with the same disagreeable mixture of familiarity and forbearance with which he had first addressed her he addressed her now in his softest manner hoped she was quite well needed not to ask with such looks to anticipate the answer had scarcely had the honour to know her last night she was so greatly changed and held the door open for her to pass out with a secret sense of power in her shrinking from him that all the deference and politeness of his manner could not quite conceal he then bowed himself for a moment over mrs skewton's condescending hand and lastly bowed to edith coldly returning his salute without looking at him and neither seating herself nor inviting him to be seated she waited for him to speak entrenched in her pride and power and with all the obduracy of her spirit summoned about her still her old conviction that she and her mother had been known by this man in their worst colours from their first acquaintance, that every degradation she had suffered in her own eyes was as plain to him as to herself, that he read her life as though it were a vile book, and fluttered the leaves before her in slight looks and tones of voice, which no one else could detect, weakened and undermined her. Proudly, as she opposed herself to him, with her commanding face exacting his humility, her disdainful lip repulsing him, her bosom angry at his intrusion, and the dark lashes of her eyes sullenly veiling their light, that no ray of it might shine upon him, and submissively, as he stood before her, with an entreating injured manner, but with complete submission to her will she knew in her own soul that the cases were reversed and that the triumph and superiority were his and that he knew it full well i have presumed said mr carker to solicit an interview and i have ventured to describe it as being one of business because perhaps you are charged by mr dombey with some message of reproof said edith you possess mr dombey's confidence in such an unusual degree sir that you would scarcely surprise me if that were your business i have no message to the lady who sheds a lustre upon his name said mr carker but i entreat that lady on my own behalf to be just a very humble claimant for justice at her hands, a mere dependent of Mr. Dombey's, which is a position of humility, and to reflect upon my perfect helplessness last night, and the impossibility of my avoiding the share that was forced upon me in a very painful occasion. "'My dearest Edith,' hinted Cleopatra in a low voice as she held her eye-glass aside, really very charming of Mr. What's-His-Name, and full of heart." "'For I do,' said Mr. Carker, appealing to Mrs. Skewton, with a look of grateful deference, I do venture to call it a painful occasion, though merely because it was so to me, who had the misfortune to be present, so slight a difference as between the principles between those who love each other with disinterested devotion and would make any sacrifice of self in such a case is nothing as mrs skewton herself expressed with so much truth and feeling last night it is nothing edith could not look at him but she said after a few moments and your business sir edith my pet said Mrs. Skewton. All this time Mr. Carker is standing. My dear Mr. Carker, take a seat, I beg. He offered no reply to the mother, but fixed his eyes on the proud daughter, as though he would only be bidden by her, and was resolved to be bidden by her. Edith, in spite of herself, sat down, and slightly motioned with her hand to him to be seated too. No action could be colder, haughtier, more insolent in its air of supremacy and disrespect, but she had struggled against even that concession ineffectually, and it was wrested from her. That was enough. Mr. Cocker sat down. "'May I be allowed, madam?' said Carker, turning his white teeth on Mrs. Skewton like a light. "'A lady of your excellent sense and quick feeling will give me credit for good reason, I am sure, "'to address what I have to say to Mrs. Dombey, and to leave her to impart it to you, "'who are her best and dearest friend, next to Mr. Dombey.' "'Mrs. Skewton would have retired, but Edith stopped her.' Edith would have stopped him, too, and indignantly ordered him to speak openly or not at all, but that he said in a low voice, Miss Florence, the young lady who has just left the room. Edith suffered him to proceed. She looked at him now. As he bent forward to be nearer, with the utmost show of delicacy and respect, and with his teeth persuasively arrayed in a self-depreciating smile, she felt as if she could have struck him dead. "'Miss Florence's position,' he began, "'has been an unfortunate one. I have a difficulty in alluding to it to you, whose attachment to her father is naturally watchful and jealous of every word that applies to him.' but as one who is devoted to mr dombey in his different way and whose life is passed in admiration of mr dombey's character may i say without offence to your tenderness as a wife that miss florence has unhappily been neglected by her father may i say by her father edith replied i know it you know it said mr carker with a great appearance of relief it removes a mountain from my breast may i hope you know how the neglect originated in what an amiable phase of mr dombey's pride character i mean you may pass that by sir she returned and come the sooner to the end of what you have to say indeed i am sensible madam replied carker trust me i am deeply sensible that mr dombey can require no justification in anything to you but kindly judge of my breast by your own and you will forgive my interest in him if in its excess it goes at all astray what a stab to her proud heart to sit there face to face with him, and have him tendering her false oath at the altar again and again for her acceptance, and pressing it upon her like the dregs of a sickening cup she could not own her loathing of or turn away from! How shame, remorse, and passion raged within her! when. Upright and majestic in her beauty before him, she knew that in her spirit she was down at his feet. Miss Florence, said Carker, left to the care, if one may call it care, of servants and mercenary people, in every way her inferiors necessarily wanted some guide and compass in her younger days, and naturally, for want of them, has been indiscreet, and has in some degree forgotten her station. There was some folly about one Walter, a common lad who is fortunately dead by now, and some very undesirable association, I regret to say, with certain coasting sailors of anything but good repute, and a runaway old bankrupt. I have heard the circumstances, sir, said Edith, flashing her disdainful glance upon him, and I know that you pervert them. You may not know it, I hope so. Pardon me, said Mr. Carker, I believe that nobody knows them so well as I. Your generous and ardent nature, madam, the same nature which is so nobly imperative in vindication of your beloved and honoured husband, and which has blessed him, as even his merits deserve, I must respect, defer to, bow before. But as regards the circumstances, which is indeed the business I presume to solicit your attention to, I can have no doubt, since, in the execution of my trust as Mr. Dombey's confidential, I presume to say, friend, i have fully ascertained them in my execution of that trust in my deep concern which you can so well understand for everything relating to him intensified if you will for i fear i labor under your displeasure by the lower motive of desire to prove my diligence and make myself the more acceptable i have long pursued These circumstances by myself, and trustworthy instruments, and have innumerable and most minute proofs. She raised her eyes no higher than his mouth, but she saw the means of mischief vaunted in every tooth it contained. "'Pardon me, madam,' he continued, "'if in my perplexity I presume to take counsel with you and to consult your pleasure.' i think i have observed that you are greatly interested in miss florence what was there in her he had not observed and did not know humbled and yet maddened by the thought in every new presentment of it however faint she pressed her teeth upon her quivering lip to force composure on it and distinctly inclined her head in reply This interest, madam, so touching an evidence of everything associated with Mr. Dombey being dear to you, induces me to pause before I make him acquainted with these circumstances, which, as yet, he does not know. It so far shakes me, if I may make the confession in my allegiance, that on the intimation of the least desire to that effect from you, I would suppress them." Edith raised her head quickly, and, starting back, bent her dark glance upon him. He met it with his blandest and most deferential smile, and went on. "'You say that, as I describe them, they are perverted. I fear not. I fear not. But let us assume that they are. THE UNEASINESS I HAVE FOR SOME TIME FELT ON THE SUBJECT ARISES IN THIS, THAT THE MERE CIRCUMSTANCE OF SUCH ASSOCIATION, OFTEN REPEATED ON THE PART OF MISS FLORENCE, HOWEVER INNOCENTLY AND CONFIDINGLY, WOULD BE CONCLUSIVE WITH MR. Dombey, ALREADY PREDISPOSED AGAINST HER, AND WOULD LEAD HIM TO TAKE SOME STEP, I KNOW HE HAS OCCASIONALLY CONTEMPLATED IT of separation and alienation of her from his home madam bear with me and remember my intercourse with mr dombey and my knowledge of him and my reverence for him almost from childhood when i say that if he has a fault it is a lofty stubbornness rooted in that noble pride and sense of power which belongs to him and which we must all defer to, which is not assailable like the obstinacy of other characters, and which grows upon itself from day to day and year to year. She bent her glance upon him still, but, look as steadfast as she would, her haughty nostrils dilated and her breath came somewhat deeper, and her lip would slightly curl as he described that in his patron to which they all must bow down, he saw it, and though his expression did not change, she knew he saw it, even so slight an incident as last night's he said, if I might refer to it once more, would serve to illustrate my meaning better. Than a greater one. Dombey and son know neither time nor place nor season but bear them all down. But I rejoice in its occurrence, for it has opened the way for me to approach Mrs. Dombey with this subject to day, even if it has entailed upon me the penalty of her temporary displeasure. Madam, In the midst of my uneasiness and apprehension on this subject, I was summoned by Mr. Dombey to Leamington. There I saw you. There I could not help knowing what relation you would shortly occupy towards him, to his enduring happiness and yours. There I resolved to await the time of your establishment at home, here, and to do as I have now done." i have at heart no fear that i shall be wanting in my duty to mr dombey if i bury what i know in your breast for where there is but one heart and mind between two persons as in such a marriage one almost represents the other i can acquit my conscience therefore almost equally by confidence on such a theme in you or him for the reasons i have mentioned i would select you may i aspire to the distinction of believing that my confidence is accepted and that i am relieved from my responsibility he long remembered the look she gave him who could see it and forget it and the struggle that ensued within her at last she said I accept it, sir. You will please to consider this matter at an end, and that it goes no farther." He bowed low and rose. She rose, too, and he took leave with all humility. But Withers, meeting him on the stairs, stood amazed at the beauty of his teeth, and at his brilliant smile and, as he rode away upon his white-legged horse, the people took him for a dentist. Such was the dazzling show he made. The people took her, when she rode out in her carriage presently, for a great lady, as happy as she was rich and fine. But they had not seen her just before in her own room with no one by and they had not heard her utterance of the three words, "Oh, Florence, Florence! Mrs. Skewton, reposing on her sofa, and sipping her chocolate, had heard nothing but the low word-business, for which she had a mortal aversion, insomuch that she had long banished it from her vocabulary, and had gone nigh, in a charming manner, and with an immense amount of heart to say nothing of soul to ruin divers milliners and others in consequence therefore missus skewton asked no questions and showed no curiosity indeed the peach velvet bonnet gave her sufficient occupation out of doors for being perched on the back of her head and the day being rather windy it was frantic to escape from mrs skewton's company and would be coaxed into no sort of compromise when the carriage was closed and the wind shut out the palsy played among the artificial roses again like an almshouse full of superannuated zephyrs and altogether mrs skewton had enough to do and got on but indifferently she got on no better towards night for when mrs dombey in her dressing-room had been dressed and waiting for her half an hour, and Mr. Dombey in the drawing-room had paraded himself into a state of solemn fretfulness. They were all three going out to dinner. Flowers, the maid, appeared with a pale face to Mrs. Dombey, saying, "'If you please, ma'am, I beg your pardon, but I can't do nothing with Mrs.' "'What do you mean?' asked Edith. "'Well, ma'am,' replied the frightened maid. I hardly know. She's making faces. Edith hurried with her to her mother's room. Cleopatra was arrayed in full dress, with the diamonds, short sleeves, rouge, curls, teeth, and other juvenility all complete. But paralysis was not to be deceived. Had known her for the object of its errand, and had struck her at her glass, where she lay like a horrible doll that had tumbled down. They took her to pieces in very shame, and put the little of her that was real on a bed. Doctors were sent for, and soon came. Powerful remedies were resorted to, opinions given that she would rally from this shock, but would not survive another. And there she lay, speechless and staring at the ceiling for days, sometimes making inarticulate sounds in answer to such questions as did she know who were present, and the like sometimes giving no reply either by sign or gesture, or in her unwinking eyes at length she began to recover consciousness and in some degree the power of motion though not yet of speech one day the use of her right hand returned and showing it to her maid who was in attendance on her and appearing very uneasy in her mind she made signs for a pencil and some paper this the maid immediately provided thinking she was going to make a will or write some last request, and Mrs. Dombey, being from home, the maid awaited the result with solemn feelings. After much painful scrawling and erasing and putting in of wrong characters which seemed to tumble out of the pencil of their own accord, the old woman produced this document. Rose-colored curtains. The maid Being perfectly transfixed, and with tolerable reason, Cleopatra amended the manuscript by adding two words more when it stood time—Rose-coloured curtains for doctors. The maid now perceived remotely that she wished these articles to be provided for the better presentation of her complexion to the faculty and as those in the house who knew her best had no doubt of the correctness of this opinion which she was soon able to establish for herself the rose-coloured curtains were added to her bed and she mended with increased rapidity from that hour she was soon able to sit up in curls and a laced cap and nightgown and to have a little artificial bloom dropped into the hollow caverns of her cheeks. It was a tremendous sight to see this old woman in her finery leering and mincing at death, and playing off her youthful tricks upon him, as if he had been the major. But, as an alteration in her mind that ensued on the paralytic stroke was fraught with as much matter for reflection, and was quite as ghastly whether the weakening of her intellect made her more cunning and false than before or whether it confused her between what she had assumed to be and what she really had been or whether it had awakened any glimmering of remorse which could neither struggle into light nor get her back into total darkness or whether in the jumble of her faculties A combination of these effects had been shaken up which is perhaps the more likely supposition the result was this that she became hugely exacting in respect of edith's affection and gratitude and attention to her highly laudatory of herself as a most inestimable parent and very jealous of having any rival in edith's regard further in place of remembering that compact made between them for an avoidance of the subject she constantly alluded to her daughter's marriage as a proof of her being an incomparable mother and all this with the weakness and peevishness of such a state always serving for a sarcastic commentary on her levity and youthfulness where is mrs dombey she would say to her maid gone out ma'am gone out does she go out to shun her mamma? flowers la bless you know ma'am mrs dombey has only gone out for a ride with miss florence miss florence who's miss florence don't tell me about miss florence what's miss florence to her compared to me The apposite display of the diamonds or the peach velvet bonnet she sat in the bonnet to receive visitors weeks before she could stir out of doors or the dressing up, of her up in some god or other usually stopped the tears that began to flow hereabouts and she would remain in a complacent state until edith came to see her when at a glance of the proud face she would relapse again well i am sure edith she would cry shaking her head what is the matter mother matter i really don't know what is the matter the world is coming to such an artificial and "'and ungrateful state that I begin to think there's no heart "'or anything of that sort left in it, positively. "'Withers is more of a child to me than you are. "'He attends to me much more than my own daughter. "'I almost wish I did not look so young, "'and all that kind of thing, "'and then perhaps I should be more considered. "'What would you have, mother?' Oh, a great deal, Edith, impatiently. Is there anything you want that you have not? It is your own fault, if there be. My own fault, beginning to whimper. The parent I have been to you, Edith, making you a companion from your cradle. And when you neglect me and have no more natural affection for me than if I were a stranger, not a twentieth part of the affection that you have for florence but i am only your mother and should corrupt her in a day you reproach me with its being my own fault mother mother i approach you with nothing why will you always dwell on this isn't it natural that i should dwell on this when i am all affection and sensitiveness, and I am wounded in the cruelest way whenever you look at me? I do not mean to wound you, mother. Have you no remembrance of what has been said between us? Let the past rest. Yes, rest. And let gratitude to me rest, and let affection for me rest, and let me rest in my out-of-the-way room with no society and no attention while you find new relations to make much of who have no earthly claim upon you good gracious edith do you know what an elegant establishment you are at the head of yes hush and that gentlemanly creature dombey Do you know that you are married to him, Edith, and that you have a settlement, and a position, and a carriage, and I don't know what? Indeed, I know it, Mother, well. As you would have had with that delightful good soul, what did they call him, Granger, if he hadn't died? And who have you to thank for all this, Edith? You, Mother, you! Then put your arms round my neck and kiss me and show me, Edith, that you know there was never a better mamma than I have been to you, and don't let me become a perfect fright with teasing and wearing myself at your ingratitude, or when I'm out again in society, no soul will know me, not even that hateful animal, the major. But sometimes when Edith went nearer to her, and bending down her stately head, put her cold cheek to hers, the mother would draw back as if she were afraid of her, and would fall into a fit of trembling, and cry out that there was a wandering in her wits, and sometimes she would entreat her with humility to sit down on the chair beside her bed, and would look at her as she sat there brooding, with a face that even the rose-coloured curtains could not make otherwise than seared and wild. The rose-coloured curtains blushed, in course of time, on Cleopatra's bodily recovery, and on her dress, more juvenile than ever to repair the ravages of illness, and on the rouge and on the teeth and on the curls and on the diamonds, and the short sleeves, and the whole wardrobe of the doll that had tumbled down before the mirror. They blushed, too, now and then, upon an indistinctness in her speech which she turned off with a girlish giggle, and on an occasional failing in her memory that had no rule in it, but came and went fantastically, as if in mockery of her fantastic self. But they never blushed upon a change in the new manner of her thought and speech towards her daughter. And though that daughter often came within their influence, they never blushed upon her loveliness irradiated by a smile, or softened by the light of filial love in its stern beauty. End of chapter 37